And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. We're back. Uh, Happy New Year. It's Monday, January 4th, 2021. And if you have a seatbelt handy, I'd highly suggest you buckle it. The very fabric of our U.S. Constitution will be debated and defended this week in the halls of Congress and on the streets of D.C. and America. The Electoral College vote coming up on January 6th, and it's going to get messy. It's going to get nasty, vitriolic. We hope and pray, though, it doesn't get violent. But unfortunately, no promises there either. The very future of our elections is at stake. The story this week isn't whether or not Joe Biden officially gets a stamp of approval from Congress to become president. Not at all. The story is the fight. The fight to protect the rule of law and election integrity going forward. And so that brings us to President Trump. That's right, he's fighting to stay on as president, obviously, but it's more than that. He, along with dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of Republican congressmen and women, are fighting to preserve and protect the next election. They're taking a stand, in short, for the Constitution. And with that, let's bring in our first guest, one of the president's lawyers, someone in the thick of all of it, Jenna Ellis, back with us on the water cooler. Jenna, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, and Happy New Year, David. Happy New Year, Jenna. Well, look, uh, we have you on the phone here. A big week ahead. The Electoral College vote is January 6th. I want to get a sense of how you expect all of this to play out this week. Yeah, well, you know, obviously we're uh, very happy with the uh, the senators and the representatives who have come forward and said that they are willing to object to the Electoral College uh, counts from these states and these certifications that clearly uh, were not given in the manner that their state legislature designated. I mean, the root of this whole entire problem and what was so clearly brought out in the legislative hearings that myself and Mayor Giuliani uh, attended and what we brought forward was showing very clear and convincing uh, proof that the rules that the legislatures of these states uh, had in place had been violated and had been very, very clearly violated in a number of ways um, across these six states. And so what's unfortunate at this juncture is that each of those state legislatures, while some of them uh, have been willing to acknowledge that fact, none have been willing to actually call a special session and do anything about it that is their constitutional obligation and duty. So now Congress is uh, stepping forward and they are saying we recognize this, Uh, we agree and we object uh, to these certifications. And the problem, of course, is uh, the rule of the majority. And so uh, clearly Mm -hmm. the Democrats still hold uh, the House of Representatives and there are a number of Uh, senators, even in a um, hopefully by then still majority uh, uh, Senate. And so, you know, this really does, David, I think, present a unique challenge uh, when we have had every constitutionally appropriate method uh, to this point fail to correct the corruption that I know that all the Trump supporters and anyone who's honestly looking at the outcome here Um, and what has happened. I think that people are very, very passionate about this. They're very, very frustrated. And we have to continue to uphold the Constitution and go through this process. And so what I anticipate um, happening this week, of course, with these objections from Congress, uh, that's great that they are objecting. um, But I think that that's ultimately not going to um, make a difference unless there are enough uh, Congress members who are actually willing to come forward and acknowledge the truth of 
uh, the violations in these states. Yeah, I was going to say, how disappointing is it that, uh, you know, the, the Democrats always seem to stick together, but Republicans, I mean, you know, you got Mitt Romney and Ben Sass, you got Tom Cotton, uh, who, who normally would be there, but, but Tom Cotton even saying that he supports the commission but doesn't necessarily support uh, obje objection here. What, what's your take on some of what you're hearing from Tom Cotton and others? Well, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's fair of him to at least uh, be willing to say that he supports the commission. But um, I didn't think that his statement was particularly convincing, because when you have um, this type of very clear and convincing evidence that the rules were violated in the manner um, in which they were in, across six states, then uh, anyone who is reasonable, who's objective, who's looking at uh, what happened in these states, and even with uh, the Texas filing. I mean, I, I always point out the amicus filing from Pennsylvania's own state legislature admitted to the Supreme Court that their own rules were violated in the administration of the 2020 election. So for senators like Tom Cotton and other Republicans, uh, you know, like Mitch McConnell and like others who aren't willing to take that step, and to say, yes, we are willing to object and put this question back to the state legislatures. Why aren't they stepping up? Uh, Cotton is right that Congress plays a very minimal role. The Constitution does provide that it's the state legislatures that have to act here. But what Congress should be doing is putting this back on those six states and asking them, why are you not enforcing your own rules? Yeah. So what about this commission that we're hearing about, Ted Cruz and, and other senators signing on to this commission? It, it does feel like it's coming pretty late in the process here. Yeah, well, you know, my question for uh, for Senator Cruz and, and others is, well, why didn't you bring forward this idea a month ago? You know, there were, uh, of course, we've had the legal challenges. Um, I was very happy to see the case from the attorneys general that should have been heard uh, in the Supreme Court under original jurisdiction. And uh, the Supreme Court, in my opinion, failed its constitutional obligation to take up that case and actually hear it, regardless of how they ultimately would have held in that opinion. They needed to take that up. Um, no one without hearing the arguments uh, can make a, a ruling just based on, uh, you know, kicking it out. And so, uh, so that was very disappointing. But my question um, for Ted Cruz is, why wasn't this addressed um, even a month ago from any of the members of Congress? So I think that the commission is a very good idea. We've seen that, as he said in his statement um, in the election in, in uh, 1877, that this type of commission with um, members from the House and Senate and even uh, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, have been on board. I mean, we've had things like this throughout the course of our nation's history. This isn't this 2020 election is not something that is so unique in America's history that we're breaking the Constitution over requiring enforcement of the rules. That's exactly what the constitutional process is designed to do. J Jenna, where does all of this leave the vice president? It seems like he's in a tough spot, at least politically. That's a whole other issue. You're dealing with the legal uh, ramifications of everything. But, you know, there's been people that say that he, you know, he can go ahead and, uh, you know, unilaterally uh, not certify these or throw some of these results out. But but, but what, what are what options? I mean, what, what can he do at this point? Yeah, well, my reading of, of the Constitution, I think it's, it's, a, it's a fair reading to say that the vice president, as the president of the Senate in this capacity, doesn't have discretion here. Uh, that's not part of his role. And so for um, some of the very well-meaning, very passionate people who are saying that, you know, he can uh, simply accept uh, which competing slate he prefers, 
Um, I don't think that that would be uh, consistent with the language of the Constitution. I don't think that that would be consistent with a precedent that uh, we would even want to establish because, you know, forward thinking, uh, that would mean that then one individual that's genuinely from the executive branch, even though they're stepping into a legislative function in that capacity, would have the ability to, uh, to essentially determine um, on their own which electors to select. And I think that the founders clearly didn't intend uh, the role in Congress to be used for that purpose. But what uh, Mike Pence could do and uh, what he should do, in fact, is to direct a question back to the state legislatures when there are two competing slates of delegates from these six states. He can ask that question to the states and say, uh, well, state legislatures, you know, I I have an oath to the Constitution to uphold um, the Constitution as written, and Article 2, Section 1.2 says that the state legislatures direct the manner in which electoral delegates are selected. So you tell me which of these two slates was selected in the manner that your state uh, General Assembly has designated. And that's a fair question. That's not exercising discretion. That's not setting up um, any sort of bad precedent. That's actually returning the authority to the constitutionally vested uh, entity. And to simply direct that question, I think, would then uh, require a response from these very uh, timid, <laughs> to put it lightly, state legislatures that haven't been willing to act. And it would, in fact, then give a very clean outcome uh, to this election, it wouldn't be political. It would just so, be saying, you're the constitutionally vested authority. You tell me. So, Jenna, just so I understand, when would he do that in the process? Would he do that uh, as he's going about reading and opening and counting these envelopes? Or would that be later in the process after the House and Senate have started to object and debate? I think uh, constitutionally and procedurally, he'd probably do it uh, at either point. Um, it would make more sense uh, to me, I think that he would do that uh, before even opening uh, any of the certificates uh, that are sent. And obviously, there are two competing slates. So before he would even open any of those envelopes to say, OK, I'm presented with two separate slates, I need to ask the state legislatures which of these two um, have been selected in the manner that your um, state has authorized. All right. And just so I understand, because I've been a little confused on the one envelope, two envelopes. Uh, so is there going to be one envelope? Or I know there's dual electors in other states, seven of them, but are I don't know if these actually actually going to have that choice between two envelopes. I guess we'll have to check on that. Right. Well, there are definitely two separate slates. And, you know, obviously um, the, the concern is that there is only uh, one that is purportedly certified by the secretaries of states and, and the, uh, the process. But it's been uh, the Trump campaign's opinion, and certainly we've been arguing this, and this is what they're objecting to, is that those are false certifications. They haven't been certified in the manner that the General Assemblies of these states um, have I actually see. required. And so that's why this question is so important and why it is so important that Congress members object and say, you know, this is this process has been hijacked by the executive branches of these six states. Yeah. And moving forward, we have to make sure to correct corruption. And our system and our Constitution, our process provides for that. We have to make sure, David, yeah. as constitutionalists, as Americans, um, and as those who love our country, right. we have to make sure that we follow the process in correcting this, even when the state legislatures and the judicial branch haven't been willing to. Yeah. But what we can't do is undermine or overhaul our system just because the Democrats want to tear it down. We cannot Jenna, help them in that. Thank you, Jenna. Got to run up against a heartbreak. Very interesting. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Hey, look, if you look at the front lines of this uh, battle that we're having, this war that's going on in this country regarding the Electoral College and election fraud and all the illegalities and all that, if you look really closely, look, there I see her. It's Dr. Kelly Ward, the Arizona GOP chair. There she is. Uh, she's right there on the front lines and uh, uh, there from somewhere, I'm assuming, in Arizona. Dr. Ward, thanks for being here. Hey, David, it's great to be back. Yes, I'm actually in my home in uh, western Arizona. And uh, yeah, we are fighting the fight We on every single front, legal, political, uh, public relations, everywhere. And yeah. we aren't going to stop. You and Louie Gohmert uh, and others uh, filed this lawsuit. Uh, didn't go your way. Judge stepped in, didn't, said on standing at least, didn't view it on the merits. Uh, uh, but you wanted Mike Pence to take more of an active role. Talk, take us through it. Give us your reaction to the fact that the judge decided to, uh, in essence, dismiss it. Uh, and also a little bit more about Mike Pence and his role coming up on January 6th. Right. Well, so we we filed a lawsuit with Congressman Gosar, uh, Com Congressman Gomert, our 11 electors in Arizona, basically asking that the courts affirm that Vice President Pence has the ability to determine which electors are accepted or if any electors are accepted from a certain state, especially under contested uh, circumstances. And as we know, there are seven states that have sent uh, slates of, of uh, electors that we believe in Arizona, and I believe the other six states believe as well, represent the legally cast votes in their state. Now, that doesn't mean that those are the votes that were certified, because these certifications, I believe, are um, should be under intense investigation. We've seen so much evidence of irregularities, of mistakes and of outright fraud. There are ghost voters, there are dead voters, and let me just tell you, down to the one, they go in favor of Biden. So we've got to look at those. So this lawsuit was um, put out there to assure the vice president that he had this right. Now, the judge did not dismiss it on the merits. He basically said that we didn't have standing. Uh, I hope that Vice President Pence really has been prayerfully evaluating what he should do. I think this is the one thing that he's had to contemplate that's been difficult since he's been the vice president. And not difficult in that it is not the right thing to do. It is the difficult path to take when the mainstream media, the left, many inside government, de Democrat and establishment Republican are saying, just let it go. I'm not sure. willing to just let our republic go, and I certainly hope that Pre Vice President Pence isn't willing to do so either. Kelly, let me ask you, so, so let me understand what you're saying. You're saying on Jan what, what you would like to see happen, kind of pie in the sky, and it's not beyond pie in the sky. What you want to see the vice president do, if I have this right, is that on January 6th, he opens or he looks at the envelope and he discards those votes that are technically certified from the governor, let's say in Arizona. You're saying that he should not count those votes, and he has the power to do that. Is that, is that what you're saying? 
I believe that he has the power to determine which votes represent the legally cast votes in our states. Uh, our state legislature has had nothing to do with this process. In state law, they've basically ceded that to the executive branch, which is not constitutional. The Constitution is very clear. The state legislature has that power. And I hope that our state legislature does something. We do have a subpoena out to the Board of Supervisors, hoping that they will get the information to the legislature that they need to be able to decertify false electors that are currently in uh, the vice president's purview, as well as at the National Archives, et cetera, and certify the correct electors. However, if that does not happen, the vice president certainly has the power to determine which votes are legitimate and which are not. So where are these other dueling electors like in Arizona and other states? Because they never went. They, I don't think they went to the National Archives, right? In other words, there's not going to be two nope, envelopes. They did. They, they did yes, go to there that. are two envelopes that have gone to every entity. Uh, a packet was sent just uh, the same as it, if it had been sent by the governor or sent by the secretary of state. Our electors met. We voted and uh, we sent the elector list that represents the legally cast votes in Arizona. And I believe that's what happened in the other other six states as well. Well, just as it relates to Arizona, so so because it's been my understanding that he would have only one envelope in front of him from, from let's say, Arizona. You're saying there would be two envelopes there? Or I, I'm just trying to understand that. Well, it's never been done before. But <laughs> yes, theoretically, there are two envelopes from Arizona, two envelopes from Pennsylvania, two yeah. envelopes from Georgia, two from New Mexico, two from Nevada, two from Wisconsin, two from Michigan. There, there were two from all of those states. And he determines which which envelope uh, has the electors that represent the legally cast votes. Okay. I think there is so much question out there that no one in their right mind could say that in at least the six states and probably New Mexico as right. well, that the uh, election results should stand. I want to read this to you from Liz Cheney, obviously one of the top Republicans oh. in the House. Oh, good. <laughs> I know. Well, see, this is why I knew you'd have something to say. Uh, let me just read you the first part. Dylan, we're just going to read the first part, which is this. There is substantial reason for concern about the president, uh, precedent. Con congressional objections will set here. By objecting to electoral slates, members are unavoidably asserting that Congress has the authority to overturn elections and overrule state and federal courts. Such objections set an exceptionally dangerous precedent threatening to steal states' explicit constitutional responsibility for choosing the president and bestowing it instead on Congress. This is directly at odds with the Constitution's clear text and our core belief as Republicans. I wanted to get your reaction. We have about a minute left or so. Okay, well, the, the extremely difficult precedent that people like Liz Cheney and the establishment, Republican in name only, globalist type Republicans want to set is that it's fine to steal an election. It's fine to have fraud across the board in multiple states and they're willing to certify it. That that, David, is a very dangerous precedent. And I'm not going to allow that to stand. I will continue to fight to make sure that we have election integrity in our state and in our country and that the right person who was rightfully and legally elected goes back to the White House for four more years. Dr. Kelly Ward, always very bashful and shy about your opinions. You know, I, I, if you could work on that, I, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Ward, thank you so much. Thanks, David.
Oh, that's great. Dr. Kelly Ward, uh, always, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, you know exactly where you stand with uh, Kelly Ward. Uh, I will say uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Mike Pence does uh, on January 6th. I know there's a lot of folks clamoring for him to do exactly what Kelly Ward was talking about, uh, which is, in essence, uh, discard uh, some of these, quote, certified electoral votes. But then again, are they really certified if they were done from an irregular and an illegality standpoint? That's the discussion. Back in a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Water Cool, everybody. Uh, boy, we have had a jam-packed show today. Uh, Jenna Ellis on the show. We've got Alan Dershowitz coming up. We've got Kelly Ward on the show. I mean, we've got so much. And guess who we have now? My goodness, Roger Stone uh, back on the show with us. Uh, Roger, always great to see you, sir. Thanks for being here. Great to be with you, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Uh, and speaking of the new year, January 6th, here we are. It's finally here. Uh, Stop the steal, the, the march for Trump, all of this going on, not just in D.C., but down where you are and all across the country. What should we expect this week, Roger? Well, I think the president's supporters really have no choice because of this uh, essentially uh, media blackout for the first time in American history, all mass communications in the United States, with the exception of radio, are essentially censored, whether it is uh, broadcast television or cable or print journalism or the Internet. Consequently, the way we have to prove to the American people that the president's support is not dwindling, in fact, it's growing, and that, you know, we represent 73 million Americans who don't accept the results of an obviously fraudulent election, this gathering in Washington, D.C. is very important as a public statement. Uh, and then additionally, of course, you have the mechanism specified uh, in the Electoral College uh, in which the Electoral College votes have to be certified by the U.S. House of Representatives if any member of the House rises in objection. Uh, and then that motion is seconded by a U.S. Senator. Uh, then you have two hours of debate, I believe, in both houses. This would be yet another opportunity for the president's supporters to present the hard evidence of voter fraud and cyber manipulation of the vote. What happens after that? That's anybody's guess. Uh, but that is the process. And for those who say, oh, well, this is bad for democracy. No, my friends, this is democracy. This is how the founding fathers wrote it. And we're just following the plan. There's a lot of talk about potential violence in the streets in D.C. I, I, no one wants violence, but at the same time, there's a lot of anger out there. Uh, what, is your, what is your sense of what may, fortunately or unfortunately, transpire regarding that this week? Well, I have some concerns about that. I'm going to be in Washington uh, uh, tomorrow uh, and the following day for a, a couple speeches. And I would point out to you that after the last big Washington march, Four people were stabbed, 86 people were badly injured. What the media doesn't tell you is all four of those people were Trump supporters and 78 of the 86 were Trump supporters. 
uh, if you went to the March back in, uh, pardon me, the March back in March, um, 12 people were badly hurt immediately after that. So um, uh, what I think happens here is that after the March or after the peaceful protest disbands and people start heading to public transportation or to their car or to parking, that is when they have been attacked uh, by leftists. So we're mm -hmm. going to try this time to have some professional security. If you want to help us raise money for that narrow purpose, you can go to stopthesteal.org. We're trying to make sure that our speakers are safe, that our participants are safe. We want this to be a safe and peaceful demonstration. Roger, how does this all end? Uh, there, there are, there's a contingent of folks in MAGA Nation, maybe a lot of MAGA Nation, that really is hoping the president will still somehow, some way, find victory here to be inaugurated. It's, obviously, it's a, many folks feel it's a very small chance, a Hail Mary, all of that. How, how do you think all of this ends eventually? Well, David, I've been in American politics for 40 years, and therefore I learned a long time ago not to answer hypothetical questions. <laughs> The, the, most, uh, the most predictable thing about Donald Trump is that he's completely unpredictable. Mm -hmm. I think that's why he's president of the United States. Uh, and uh, I do think he has options. On the other hand, he also has far more information than the rest of us. For those in the media, uh, like, uh, oh, I don't know, say Chuck Todd, for example, who want to say there is no evidence whatsoever of voter irregularities or fraud, and that anyone who says there is uh, must be a conspiracy theorist. This is absurd. The evidence is not only uh, uh, overwhelming, it's growing, and it's compelling. Uh, and it's there for anybody who wants to take an objective look at it. On the other hand, the courts uh, have not been uh, willing to hear this. So you're in a situation now in which you cannot have an honest, fair, transparent right. election. You cannot have a fair judicial proceeding. And our legislative process is constipated by either fear or special interest influence. And no. therefore, the three major peaceful ways to bring reform are blocked. You see why the American people are so frustrated. Roger, you just said a moment ago the president has options. There's been talk, uh, and even within the White House, the walls of the White House, about possibly uh, looking at the Insurrection Act of some, some former faction. Do you, do you support that? What's your sense of the Insurrection Act and how that might be a potential option. Is it a potential option? I'm trying to understand what you're saying when you say options. Uh, you know, David, I'm not going to second guess the president of the United States. Uh, and I've now learned the hard way that if you even try to discuss, um, say, martial law, then the Daily Beasts and Vox and Vice right. and all it's totally fake news media, they say, Roger Stone says the president should enact martial law if he loses the election. Well, anyone who goes back and reads the transcript of that interview would see that that's not what I said. Right. But so therefore, I'm not going to speculate because the jackals in the media just twist what you say. I have total confidence in the president. And based on the evidence, I think he will do the right thing. Whatever he does, I will support him. But I'm not going to second guess him. You don't think he'll concede ever. Do you? you don't, he's not going to concede. Right. I think it would be highly unlikely. I also think it would be inappropriate. I think you have to be about the truth. So while he yeah. could choose to leave peacefully, half the people in the country are going to believe for all eternity that he was robbed. Um, he knows that he was robbed. Those are not the best circumstances for a new president to try to govern. 
if he asked my advice about going to the inauguration, I would suggest that he not do it because it connotes legitimacy on a guy who I don't think was legitimately elected president. Roger Stone, always a pleasure to see you, sir. Thank you so much. Really, really great stuff. Thanks, Roger. Great to be with you, David. All right. Roger Stone, who uh, talking about being up here in D.C. on Tuesday and Wednesday. We know Wednesday is the big day, but let's be honest, folks. Tuesday, if you read the fine print, there it is Wednesday, March for Trump. There's also something going on Tuesday as well. Prayer rallies, other rallies, and Roger alluded to it. He said it'll be up here on Tuesday, so watch for that as well. And then let's see what happens between January 6th and the 20th. That 14-day, two-week period, Roger Stone says the president has options. You know he has options. The question is, what would he do? Could he do? Will he do it? We're going to find out. We're going to follow it here, because guess what? Chuck Todd and many of the other mainstream media, sorry, liberal media, we're not doing it. Back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And welcome, everybody, uh, back to the water cooler. Uh, I'm David Brody. And I got to tell you, a lot of constitutional issues that are going to be cropping up, as we've discussed in this show, uh, come January 6th and what Congress is going to do. What will the vice president do? Can he do anything? I mean, we're going to discuss all of that uh, with our next guest. He's a host of The Dur Show, uh, the podcast that is making waves across America and joining us back on the program yet again Alan Dershowitz climbing up the charts here as a guest on the water cooler. Alan, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Hey, it's always a pleasure to be on. You know, good talk is rare these days, and you do good talk, so it's always a pleasure to be on with you. Well, that sounds good, and that is on the record because you had a mic on, Alan. So, so we'll we'll take that as an as an endorsement of the show. Uh, all right. So, sure. Alan, uh, let me ask you: January sixth, what should we expect? Uh, we've heard Ted Cruz and some senators doing certain things. I mean, there's going to be debate clearly on this. Uh, what what should we expect this week, Alan? Well, the Constitution is being tested, and it will survive. The Constitution and the laws that were passed based on the Twelfth Amendment and the text of the Constitution permit for challenges to be made if you have a single senator and a single congressman. We have that. And so challenges will be made. They will each go to their separate chambers. They will debate. Then they will vote to reaffirm the Electoral College. And Biden will be sworn in on uh, uh, January 20th. But we will see the Constitution stretched and pulled and tugged. But it will survive and endure. Alan, there's been a lot of talk about election fraud in this in 2020. But but if we can drill down on that, uh, a lot of the issues that, that Cruz and others have, and it's not just Cruz, it's many of them. Uh, it's the voting, what they call voting illegalities. You know, this I want to put up Article 2, Section 2, Clause 1, uh, you know very well, uh, talking about how it's the state legislatures uh, that are the ones that are supposed to. Here it is. Each state shall, you know, I don't have to read it to you. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof 
of may direct, and it goes on to talk about a number of electors. So, so that's their beef. I mean, if if uh, state bureaucrats, election officials, uh, attorney generals, governors are are changing election laws like signature verification, postmarking dates, and all of that, and it's not going through the legislature, is there not a constitutional argument to be made here, Alan? There is a constitutional argument to be made. The response is that in some states, the legislature has delegated its constitutional authority to election officials. And that raises a question that's never been decided by the United States Supreme Court. Can you delegate that authority under the Constitution? And we don't know the answer to that because it's never been challenged before. If there were enough votes to turn around Pennsylvania, there they have the strongest challenge because the legislature said that only ballots received uh, on election day or before can be counted. And the courts, without authority from the legislature, expanded that three days. And so those three days of ballot counting are probably unconstitutional. Justice Alito seemed to suggest that, but I don't think there are enough votes that came in during those three days that would affect the outcome for the election. What they have is they have the theory, they have the constitutional law, but they don't have enough votes in Congress and they probably don't have enough votes, ballots that distinguish between the victory, the margin victory and the challenges. So they win in theory and they lose in practice. Alan, is there any road here for Mike Pence to do something from a constitutional perspective about having this power uh, that, that a lot of folks say he doesn't have? But from a constitutional perspective, it seems like it was written in the passive voice as it relates to the 12th Amendment, this idea that he's supposed to open and count the votes. And, and it makes you wonder if Congress has an, a role of just overseeing what he does, does, does Mike Pence have any, what kind of power does he have to do anything here? Well, that case was brought by Congressman Gohmert and a couple of others, and it was rejected on standing grounds. The vice president, through the attorney general of the United States, kind of opposed giving him all that power. On the other hand, a couple of days later, he endorsed what Senator Cruz was doing. So I think we have the vice president legally saying that he really only has a role to play that's technical. Uh, on the other hand, politically, he's trying to be supportive of the president. I've got to get your take on this phone call that everybody's talking about with the president and the Georgia yep. secretary of state. I want to play part of it and then get your reaction on the other side. Sure. Here it is, Alan. You know what they did and you're not reporting it. That's a, you know, that's a criminal, that's a criminal offense. And, and you know, you can't let that happen. That's, that's a big risk to you and to Ryan, your lawyers. That's a big risk. But they are shredding ballots, in my opinion, based on what I've heard, and they are removing machinery, uh, and they're moving it as fast as they can, both of which are criminal fines, and you can't let it happen, and you are letting it happen. You know, I mean, I'm notifying you that you're letting it happen. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes which is one more than we have, because we won the state. What, what do you make of some of those comments, especially the part about wanting to find those votes? Well, every, every major media has taken it out of context. Uh, he's not saying, I want you to create the votes. He's not saying, I want you to manufacture or concoct the votes. He's saying, and he's been saying this for months, 
Twitter and in his statements and in his campaigns, he thinks that people voted for him and those votes weren't counted. He's entitled as a citizen and as a candidate to say, I want you to find those votes. I want you to find the votes that were cast for me and what weren't counted. I want you to find votes that were cast against me that shouldn't have been counted by people who are dead, people who are out of state. So Whether I mean, he's or merits doesn't matter. He has a perfect right to say that. And the fact that he says find is totally taken out of context. He's not asking anybody to create it. Paul Bernstein is the villain here. Paul Bernstein has misled the American public by saying this is worse than Watergate. That's absurd. Bribing of witnesses, crimes, he should have been impeached, he committed impeachable offenses. And here you have a president just saying, I think there are votes out there that haven't been counted. Find them. Perfectly, perfectly acceptable. I've been teaching criminal law for, what, 50, over 50 years. I went through every word of that transcript. There is no crime there, period. Paul Bernstein, shape up and stop being a zealot political partisan and stop diminishing your own reputation. If you think that that this is worse than Watergate, then President Nixon should never have been impeached. And why did you become famous for saying he should? Alan Dershowitz, uh, I believe you just dropped the mic at that point. Uh, So I appreciate you being on. Thanks so much, Alan. Always a pleasure to see you. All right, Alan Dershowitz says, we like to say in basketball, bringing it strong to the rack, uh, and Carl Bernstein uh, clearly on the receiving end of that. Back in a moment with the last set. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, Time for the last sip. I've got to tell you, (laughs) I've seen quite a few things in my life, but uh, this takes the cake. Uh, Get ready uh, for the most interesting prayer and weirdest prayer, and let's be honest, dumbest prayer you'll ever see. Here it is. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. Peace in our families, peace across this land. And dare I ask, O Lord, peace even in this chamber, now and evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. A man and a woman. (laughs) Ah, the old a woman. Uh, Folks, hello. Can you just do a quick Google search? Amen means so be it. Okay, so be it. It has nothing to do with gender. Okay, give me a break. It's gender neutral. Amen. You can say it. But the folks at the United Spot, we love these folks. They decided to, well, have a little fun with that. Have a look. Ladies and gentlemen, it has come to my attention that there are certain words out there that are not woke enough for 2021. (laughs) So as your newly elected House Speaker, I'm going to fix it. (laughs) This is very important. Listen up, minions. From now on, words with man or men in it will be changed. Grab your dictionary, America. 
I'm going to erase everything. <laughs> For example, mentality will now be pronounced womanality. Menopause will be pronounced womenpause. <laughs> Menstrual will be pronounced womenstrual. Menisitis will be pronounced womenisitis. Menstrual will be pronounced womenstrual. Menstrual will be pronounced womenstrual. Menswear will be pronounced womenswear. Menstruals will be pronounced womenswals. Why is she talking like this? <laughs> I, I love, uh, I, well, I was about to say I love Nancy Pelosi, but I think I need a little context there. Uh, I love how they do that with Nancy Pelosi. We've had them on uh, the show before. Thanks to the folks at the United Spot. I mean, this is ridiculous, folks. I mean, come on. Can we just say amen? That's all we need to say. Don't worry. Don't want to offend anybody. It's just amen and amen. It's I, I don't even know what to say at this point. I, I'm a feeling a bit verklempt. Um, I, normally, I would just say, man, oh, man, but I guess I'm just going to say, woman, oh, woman. Back in a moment. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Uh, we've had a, a lot of lawyers on the show today, so let's uh, let's bring in the lawyer of news. How's that? Ooh, the lawyer of news. I think there are people who actually hold that position. Oh, Maybe. So I'm not a lawyer. You're not a lawyer. You just play, you don't even play one on television. I can play one on television. All right, let's do that. Let's well, do that today. All right, but you're not talking about legal stuff today. No. Right? What are you no. talking about? Why are you here? <laughs> okay, David. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't mean it like that. <laughs> Starting the new year, clashing. <laughs> oh, happy um, new year, by the way. Thank you, happy new year to you. My bad. Um, so we're talking about COVID, uh, as we always are. Um, basically, so as we know, COVID rates are going up. That has not changed throughout the holiday season. In the prior week or two before Christmas, before the new year, you had a lot of warnings from state and local officials saying, don't travel, don't see your families. All the while, they were, of course, traveling and seeing their families, by and large. But um, what we really want to look at is whether those uh, border state border crossings and mm -hmm. relative traveling to see your family have actually spiked COVID rates. Mm -hmm. So. What COVID rates are currently saying, according to Daniel Payne, our amazing reporter who's it's been really doing good. deep, deep dives into these numbers consistently, is he's saying that what hospitals are doing, especially in places like California, where we're really seeing scary numbers coming out of L.A. Um, uh, ICUs and emergency rooms saying we have very little space left. And that's sort of not just in L.A., but up and down the California coast. But what what Daniel is saying now is that hospitals are not differentiating between somebody who is in the hospital with COVID and somebody who is in the hospital due to COVID. So obviously, mm -hmm. if you're in the hospital right now, they're going to test you for COVID. They're testing everybody for COVID. Right. And a number of people are coming back, um, you know, like they're going into the hospital for a broken leg or a heart attack or, you know, God knows what else. Mm -hmm. And they're being given COVID tests. And these are these PCR tests, which we know there have been some issues with. Right. And they're coming back as, you know, having some amount of COVID in their systems. And they're counting those numbers toward the overall COVID rates, which they're also not not exactly reporting 100% transparently, which is another thing that Daniel's deep dive article uh, really gets into. So I would encourage everybody to go and read it. But um, justthenews.com, justthenews.com, as always. Mm -hmm. But um, basically, yeah. So these, so these, these, you know, rates of not having very many ICU beds, which is another sort of interesting statistic when you look at it, because mm -hmm. the idea that you would want to have, you know, 100% free ICU beds isn't quite correct either. So having 5% free mm -hmm. ICU beds maybe isn't quite as scary as we're hearing it. Yeah. Um, you know, compounded with the with COVID slash due to COVID. Um, we just want to, what Daniel is doing is really checking in on sort of some of the false narratives and headlines coming out of these new COVID rates. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah. In for a broken leg and, and, you've, and you have COVID yeah. and then you're yeah. a COVID case. Yeah. All right. Sophie, thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, tomorrow on the show, it's another big show. It's a big week. Uh, Louis Gohmert, Mark Short, the VP's chief of staff, lots of stuff. See you tomorrow.